Today's podcast is sponsored by our amazing friends over at Adorama. Adorama is one of the best electronic retailers specializing in photo and video equipment. They also have a rad blog and video series highlighting content creators called Through the Lens, which you can find on their YouTube channel. We've partnered with Adorama to offer free education through the AOV Academy. So head over to aovacademy.com for free online courses in photo and video. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Art of Visuals podcast. My name is Prince and I am your host. Today I have the founder of Koala Tree on the podcast. Charlie Bessie is in the building. Charlie, <laughs> thank you for joining us. What's happening, brother? Not too much. Just enjoying this awesome day. The summer's winding down, right? And uh, you're in Boise. I'm in Salt Lake. So it's kind of, kind of the same vibe. <laughs> it is. You guys are getting a ton of that smoke too. We did. It cleared out with the storm, uh, luckily, but it was hunching down our activities uh, for the last month or so. Yeah, man, we've been getting hammered by that by that smoke. It's been it's been terrible. But stoked to have you on the show. Why don't you let the AOV community know a little bit more about yourself uh, and your background? Yeah, definitely. So um, I'm 32 years old. I live in Salt Lake City, Utah. A lot of my hobbies are based around that lifestyle of, of living in Salt Lake where I can go to an awesome concert on a Friday night and then go camping and hit mountain biking and um, you know paragliding or whatever else I want to for the rest of the weekend. So we got a, a good balance down here with that and that really plays into um, the products that we, that we incorporate into our brand. Um, I used to work a little bit of history. I used to work doing concert promotions here in Salt Lake City, which led me to a job with Skull Candy. Um, I was one of their their first 10 employees and ran their marketing division for about two and a half years. And then fresh off of that, I came into working with the partners at Koala Tree after about seven months of doing consulting. At Skull Candy, we went from about $5 million to $125 million while I was there. So I was able to branch out into consulting right from there and then was asked to be be a partner of Koala Tree in 2010. And the reason I jumped on board with that, knowing that the clothing industry was going to be a difficult task and, and Jonas Bavaka being one of my mentors, who's the, the founder of LRG, rest in peace. And he, he said to me, you know, if you're going to do clothing in this industry, you need a lot of money and then you need a lot more money and you need a message in between all of that. So I felt like the partners that were asking me to come on board and found Quality with them, we had this initiative to produce sustainable and eco-minded products through apparel. And so if you're going to worry about what you're eating as a focus on GMOs and, and you know versus organics, why not bring that same mindset into clothing and, and apparel and products? Which really was on the, the on the uh, you know ahead of the time in 2010. Now. At that time, there was two factories that did sustainable materials, and now there's over hundreds here eight years later. So the passion of the for the birth of Koala Tree really was to bring something to the industry of action sports and outdoors, which, which we all loved, and to um, kind of bring a, a solid message of, of supporting your local farmer, and it, through that, supporting your local farmers worldwide through choosing organic cotton and recycle polyesters and nylons as opposed to toxic uh, methods that were that were really being practiced practiced strongly at the time so that's kind of that's that that's the overall birth of where the passion came for me to jump on board with koala tree and and since then it's been eight years eight and a half years with no looking back and just keeping the same vision ahead of us and keeping the same message growing strong with our with everyone we run across Awesome. I appreciate you, Charlie, sharing the, the, the short story to, of, you know, Koala Tree's foundation. With that said, you were over at Skull Candy for a little while. Did you run into a guy named Tim DeBrincat? Tim DeBrincat. It doesn't sound familiar. Tim Olin was our designer there, uh, about the fifth graphic designer to get hired. But that's the only Tim I knew over there. Okay. I, I, I left in 2009 in October, so I was an early cat. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. My, my buddy from Olo clip, he's their CMO. Uh, but he was also over at school candy before that. So I was just curious if you guys ever, if the paths ever crossed, but don't think so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny by the time I left there, um, they had about 60 employees 
and you had your area that was the marketing, customer service, sales side, like core sales side with this, we had a mini ramp and everything over there and a little stage of video games. And then you had the other side of the building or the office, which was all the finance side. And that, that side. went, yeah, that went from two people to like 30 people overnight. And, uh, I didn't even, uh, some of those guys, I didn't even end up crossing. HR was in the middle. So sometimes I didn't even go over there because <laughs> anybody that's been in a, in a company that has ex, a really excessive growth like that knows that uh, my, my passion is growing companies from, from zero to 50 million. You know, I love getting in, getting dirty, using your relationships and your message to drive uh, or, organic advocates, the brand. Um, but I feel like there, there is a point where my you know, when you get up into that, that, uh, you know, 50 to, to $300 million, there's a lot more, um, structure that we, we were just talking about that. Actually, there's a lot more structure that comes into play and it can, it can tug on your creativity. So I, 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 I really value my time there, but when it came time for me to go start my own thing, I just kind of knew, all right, I want to, this canvas is going to be fine. No matter how you leave it, let's go start a new one. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> So you had said something earlier about farming. So I know you guys had a farm in Western Colorado. Tell me about that. Like, how did you guys utilize the farm for the brand? And what was the farm's place in like the koala tree story? 100%. I think that one, what we learned at, at Skull Candy is that everything needs to have a, a story and, and a genuine story. So for us to have our emphasis be on you know, not, not only worrying about what you put in your body, but, you know, but worrying about what you put on your body as the clothing industry at that time, and still is one of the most toxic industries in, in the world, you know, let, let's focus on, um, you know, really derailing this industry and bringing something good to it. So there's, there's two, there's two kind of messages that we felt like we could go with when we were, when we were birthing the idea behind quality is one, we could fight against something and be like, no, GMO products are bad. You know, don't don't support Monsanto, and this is how you're supporting them without even knowing. Or we could take another approach, and we could support the solution. And and instead of fighting against something, become a group of people fighting for something. And I think that's much more powerful. I mean, I'm even getting goosebumps thinking about the day we decided that because you're you're going to have such a better response and such a better group of people joining your your cause if it's for something positive so we saw this as an opportunity one of the guys involved with the company was in a position where his family had a 16 acre property out in colorado on the river it was completely untouched for like 25 years so it needed a lot of work but we felt like just like the DC lab did with their mountain lab, um, you know, created momentum around their brand for professional snowboarders. And, and that trickled down to the, to the snowboard industry. So that's the best case of an example I could use of what we were going for when we said, hey, let's create this farm. Let's move out there, understand what it means to be farmers. And then let's teach people that are interested in the brand how to farm at whatever capacity they'd like to. And then let's travel the nation doing barbecues with organic food we raised ourselves and the shops we're working with and show people the, the how much better the brats taste when they're organic and when they're raised with love and when you know where your food's coming from. And that was really the, the big broad view of what we were doing with the farm is to create not just the mindset, but to back it up with a living experience that anybody include that ourselves created as the founders, but then anybody could come and be a part of. So with the farm, over the years, it developed more and more. It was right on the Colorado River. And uh, we, the first year, we built a mini ramp, a skate ramp. The second year, we did a mountain bike track. The third year, we did a shooting little shooting range. So each year, it, it got better, which was really fun to watch. And it's kind of like fill the dreams. If you build it, they will come. All of a sudden, we had buyers from VC Surf and Sport coming out and buyers from Backcountry coming out and buyers from or the staff from Trans World Skateboarding. And it was just trickling out of like this place that was a destination to come and disconnect. Um, and, and as that started spreading, we had people like the, the Girl Chocolate team stopped by the farm when they were filming Pretty Sweet and doing the, doing the Pretty Sweet film. And the mini ramp ended up in the Pretty Sweet highlights. 
So, um, and Eric Costin and Sean Malto and all these guys left as advocates for the brand. So the farm really was that, that center for people to come out and see that we were living what we were, what we were teaching and then go and be an advocate from the brand from that point on. And, and, you know, we raised chickens, pigs, we had five baby lambs on our farm. We raised Scottish Highlanders, Black Angus, and we farmed over two acres of, of produce Whatever produce too that was that we didn't use, we we fed back into the community in Newcastle to the to people in need there and to families in need, and we still have letters from a kid that was 15 years old that we fed his family and his mom, and you know it changed the course of their of his life and his abilities to 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 not have to work at Wendy's to to support the family and just to eat himself. So there was a lot of really big philanthropy as well as shifting people's mindsets that went on with the farm that was much more than a clothing line and much more than a hype factor. It was really the genuine heartbeat of the company and of what we were trying to accomplish. Um, now at this point, we, the farm was, was literally sucking up all of our, all of our profits as well as putting the company at risk for serious debt because it is so expensive to run a farm and we weren't selling any of the products from the farm. So, um, in 2010, we started two of the most un unsuccessful companies in, in, the, in the nation, a clothing line and a farm. And we often joked about how we were crazy doing that. <laughs> and so in 2015, it was the breaking point where it was either the farm or the clothing line. And I decided to stick with the clothing line. And my other business partner decided to move out to the farm and, and, and take the farm to the next level. So... That's where kind of the shift of the new birth of the e-commerce brand to, as opposed to retail, happened when we got rid of the farm and, and kind of started focusing on keeping the company alive with the vision. Um, and now at this point, since, since we haven't been working with the farm, we have supplied over a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of clothing to Boys and Girls Club International, YMCA, the Christmas Box International, and several other homeless communities out here in Salt Lake, um, as well as our Cachula blankets. So that's been a really cool thing to do is to move the give back from the farm to our direct communities here. And uh, um, one of the stories from that is a kid kept going to school, getting made fun of because he was wearing Jinkos, but he was a bigger guy and all he could wear is Jinkos because that's all the YMCA had. So we dropped off a bunch of denim, a bunch of quality gear, baseball jackets and stuff. Well, within a month of him rocking our stuff to school, the guy was one of the most popular kids in school, and now he's a stand-up comedian. Like two years later, the dude's a stand-up comedian, and he was in sh from Chicago, and he was found sleeping on a bench in a park in West Valley here in Salt Lake and brought into the Christmas Box International. And he was he, he he's a big advocate for quality now, and, and you know, and he he those are the types of things I think a lot of people don't think about. You know, is that yeah, maybe somebody has some clothes, but do they do, do those clothes match up with allowing that person to feel confident? And so that's where Qualtry has been able to move, shift and move our give back to. Gotcha. Kind of, yeah. Dude. Keep, keep, keep the heartbeat of charity alive, you know, but, but just kind of transform it into a different way. What a cool story. So you guys, I mean – you guys have been all over the place and uh, I love like in the best way possible. And it's, and it's really cool. Like at your guys' core, uh, you guys are just really good people. And that's, that's awesome to hear, you know, and, and it's, it's nice to know when you're supporting a brand to, to know that the people behind the company, you know, are genuine, authentically just good people. And so with where you guys are at today, the e-commerce brand, what, you know, why does quality exist in the current marketplace? Like, what are you guys here? What are you guys, you know, why are you guys here? And what are you, you know, hoping to do long-term? Like, what's the big vision? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think that, um, like you said, quality has been all over the place. And I think any brand, there's a book called From Good to Great, and it talks about basically being willing to adapt. And if you aren't able to adapt with the current market, and where you're, where things are lining up successfully for your company, then you're gonna, you're gonna get, you're gonna be your own worst enemy, right? So your vision has to, you have to be willing to adapt and, and kind of alter your vision to 
to, as you go along. And I think so many people get stuck in that mindset that, no, it has to be this way or else it won't work. And so to any other entrepreneur or, or anybody out there, great advice is to, yes, yeah, set your vision and get your team excited about that vision. But make sure that you can adapt as things are moving and not get so set in a mindset that you can't make those make those changes. And so where where quality really was at is when I was telling you earlier is that we from 2010 to 2015, we were going to trade shows. We were selling to buyers nine months ahead of the of the launch date of the products. And we were in over 200 stores and eight countries worldwide, including backcountry, urban outfitters. Uh, seed people, uh, animal traffic, and a lot of really cool boutiques and and bigger shops. The, in essence, when you do that, you are cre- having to create a whole new catalog of products every six months. To and, and not necessarily because your brand doesn't already have strong existing products, but because if the buyer sees the same thing, he's going to go to another brand that's created a whole new line to bring into the store. And, and so our products didn't really over time we kept creating new products and creating new products but it didn't really line up with who quality was at our core because what we wanted to do was make multi-use products that helped benefit our lifestyle of being active and being urban urbanites and there's no real way to be able to i feel like have 200 products that all serve uh, amazing i have to have this category line right it's like so so we when we made that shift from trying to take five years of pleasing other other buyers and we took a step back and said hey no we're going to stop selling to all of our all of our shops all of the countries and we're just going to take some time to take a step back pick out our 10 top products and then move forward with those 10 top products and bring those to an e-commerce a crowdfunding opportunity and see if the see, see if the market thinks these products are awesome and so what, what we did is, is I, took, I, took, I, I took a criteria and said, out of the 200 products we have, the product needs to be packable, it needs to be lightweight, it needs to be fashion forward, and it needs to be functional fabric. And so I, I, I put, we have a packable backpack, and I put together this, I set out this packable backpack that holds 22 liters, and I set out a pair of pants, a pair of shorts, a rain jacket, a, a windbreaker jacket, a down jacket and a hammock and a katula and everything that was right there was packable multi-use um and fit into the bag the 22 liter bag so in essence i and that's the line that we've been launching over the last two years and that we'll continue to launch into 2020 is everything that i put into that bag at that moment so we were we were really able to redefine the company at that point as we are somebody that makes products that are multi-use that are water resistant, that um, you are antimicrobial, and that have four-way stretch and ripstop nylon, or you know have the, all those durable properties. And as we did that, and we launched our Kickstarter uh, first Kickstarter on the Kachula blanket, we with retailers, our brand was struggling to get to a half a million dollars in sales, and overnight the Kachula blanket brought in around two hundred and seventy-six thousand dollars. For us, so for a brand that's been struggling to kind of get that cash in, in you know, flow forward mindset going, that, that that day was a game changer where we've never looked back after that, because we knew, oh my gosh, now all of these other products we can launch the same way and have this same type of hero product success. And since that 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 blanket, we've launched three other successful Kickstarters and raised over um, you know 1.5 million on the on the crowdfunding platforms. And we're looking to do $4 million this year and did $3 million last year. And with retail, there's just no possible way to make that happen because the retailers were jamming up the product story and the product message and our company by making us overproduce products. So really being able to streamline directly to consumer um, through, through educating them, through partnerships with you guys or through Outside Mag named our Trailhead Pant, the 2017 um, Pant of the Year, and uh, Climbing Mag named it the Climbing Pant of the Year. So these organic awards and organic advocate marketing and word of mouth is really taking the products to a, a whole new level than what retail ever could have done. You know, these same products lived on Backcountry.com, and they sold out on Urban Outfitters and Backcountry both. 
but they just weren't successful because they the message was getting lost. And that's what's so beautiful about e-commerce nowadays. Absolutely. I love your personally love the pants. They're super comfortable. They look good. It's nice to be able to tie up the bottoms. And they're just dude, they're lightweight. They're just just they're I see why you created those. They're <laughs> I, I just I do. I really do. I love them. Uh, I love all your products. I haven't got to play with the Cachula blanket yet just because, you know, it's it's warm. And so I haven't pulled that bad boy out, but I can't wait for it to get a little a little nippier so I can can give that a run and I'm sure it's great. With that said, you brought up something important. You talked about Kickstarter and crowd crowdfunding, you know, is at its peak right now and you have amazing companies all over the world, you know, getting the opportunities whether it's it's long-term companies that have been in the game for years utilizing the platforms to launch new products and and to keep them in the eye of the public or brand new companies that don't have, you know, tons of funding and don't have all these other resources that are able to launch really badass products through these crowdfunding in these crowdfunding platforms like Kickstarter and Indiegogo and things like that. Why don't you let us know a little bit uh, about why you guys chose to, you know, to launch your products through Kickstarter and what the power of that platform really is and what it means to the company? Yeah, 100%. It's it's hard. It, it's kind of a, a trip to look back that far because of how much confidence and how much of a game changer the community of Kickstarter has been. So it's not just Kickstarter. It's the fact that we can launch a Kickstarter pants. We can launch a project like the Kickstarter pants, raise a half a million, and then have those consumers reach out to us and say, hey, we love these pants. Can you guys make shorts for us? You guys should do a Kickstarter on the shorts. Well, we had never planned on doing a Kickstarter with the shorts. But because that community is so interactive and so engaged in your brand and your products, they can help steer you to making the right decisions. And so with almost no marketing or product development, we made the shorts and we raised a quarter million dollars on the pants from just the backers of the, or on the shorts for mainly just the backers on the, on, on the pants. So I think there's a, there's a community there in Kickstarter that people and we didn't understand. It's it's not just somebody goes into a store, buys your product, and maybe one day they'll reach out to you. It's you have that direct connection with those guys, and they do with you, and that's a strong partnership. Because if you're going to partner, why not partner with the people buying your product, right? Um, it's 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 just an award-winning connection that Indiegogo and Kickstarter provide there. Second, secondary to that, that huge benefit of like once you, you know, once you get your first Kickstarter up, you've got a community of support that will never go away. And that's the point I made with that. So if you're an already existing brand like Koala Tree, and Koala Tree was one of the first ones to go from a brand at trade shows to a crowdfunding app application. And it was just amazing to see the support from our, from our email list and our Instagram people you know, backers and, and our Facebook group and all the people that had supported us for five years on our farm, all of a sudden overnight, as soon as we allowed them to do it through Kickstarter, they jumped right on board. So if you're an already existing brand that has advocates, Kickstarter is just a great way to get them involved more and also to not be the bank for your products. You get all that money up front before you ever produce the product so you can go into production with without having to take loans out from banks. So that's really, really huge for already existing brands. And I, 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 I don't know, if I'll just name drop Tentree. Those guys are great friends of mine. And we've been walking them through how to do a Kickstarter and make it effective for them. And so I think it's, you know, everyone's looking at it, but not everybody's doing it because there's a lot of unknowns there. And, and Qualitry and, and any of the other companies that we've talked to here in Salt Lake or, or beyond that are involved in Kickstarter are very open to helping to share knowledge and to share information. Whereas if I'm talking to somebody at another clothing line, they're not going to give me the buyer's name for, for Urban Outfitters and their contact information, you know, but right. they will give me uh, an, a marketing Facebook group for somebody that was successful on their Kickstarter. So when you're in the Kickstarter world, there's a lot more play nice and a lot more partnership building you can do with other brands. So that's that's a really nice thing for, for existing stuff. Now, if you're going from zero and you have a, just a product idea, and one of our friends that we mutually have, Tanner Dame, did a travel pillow. 
and it raised four hundred twenty or four hundred, you know, thirty thousand dollars. And it was just a product that he had in mind that he wanted to bring to market. And so he, in essence, went and got it produced, put together a Kickstarter, and then boom, overnight the market spoke and people wanted that pillow, and so it raised X amount of money. Um, and then you have a brand that's born from there. You know, you can go on and you can bring that product to Amazon and you can bring it to your e-commerce and then you can, you know, run run that company and basically overnight have a success story for, for a startup. Um, but the nice thing about the Kickstarter is that if the, if those consumers validate your product, you've got something. And you're going to have, you know, organically from our successful Kickstarters, we've had Shark Tank reach out. We had this um, opportunity for the hammocks I was telling you about for a $1.5 million purchase order from FabFitFun, and they found out about our brand from searching through Kickstarter. You know, so Kickstarter really is a platform of where media, box subscription companies, and buyers are looking at those startup companies to say, who, hey, who's, what's young and fresh here? And that's really one of the big advantages that you get from, from being a, a brand new company and a brand new product moving to crowdfunding. So anyway, not to, not to go on. I could go on forever about that, those, those crowdfunding applications because I think so many people get scared about the details, like the perks. Like, what perks do I offer? And my advice is to just go in and, and just um, ask as many questions as you can and talk to as many people that that were successful on Kickstarter. You can go in and message people directly through Kickstarter too. And that Kickstarter community is really helpful and really willing to share information. That's awesome, man. Uh, That's a really cool story. And it's really, it's really neat to hear how a platform like Kickstarter really does empower uh, entrepreneurs and creators to to be able to launch things and, and to utilize people around the world to make their dreams come true. It really decentralizes the way that, businesses are started now, you know, 10 years ago, it was a lot like you either had to have had money or an investor and there really wasn't any other way. And now there's all this other opportunity, uh, which is really, really wicked, uh, to see. And now there's all types of crazy crowdsource type platforms popping up for, uh, investment in your company to, you know, products to Patreon. To, so there's just all this different, opportunity available to, to creators and product developers. And I guess I will just call them makers, you know, uh, yeah. which pretty, which is pretty rad. Yeah, no, it's so true. And it, that's why I was saying about Jonas Bavaka earlier is that, you know, he said, Hey, there, the, the old model that was that skull candy that I learned at skull candy, um, was that you have to be cash flow forward. You've got to be the banks to the accounts. You've got to find purchase order funding and you've got to go spend money on trade shows to get your your product out there. So if you've got a brand, an idea, like you said, you you're 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 sitting there in hot water trying to wrap your head around all this business stuff that you may not have experience in. But what you do know is that you have a great product that can be revolutionary. Well, now you know. Fast forward to eight years later. Jonas's statement of having to have a lot of money and then a lot more money and a lot more money is no longer relevant to people that just want to maintain a a brand and a concept and grow that organically through crowdfunding. So it may be the case if you're looking to be the next North Face or the next Neff or the next, you know, big company out there that's hitting hundred million, you're definitely going to need investors and people at that point, but Kickstarter will help get you enough of a platform that you can, you can cross those bridges as they come as the brand grows. Absolutely. I want to, I want to, I want to take a little 180 in our conversation here. So we, we, we've talked quite a bit about, uh, you know, the story behind Koala Tree and I really appreciate you sharing all that. And I think the community uh, it's always nice to understand, to, like, to get this in-depth view of brands. A lot of brands, to be honest, don't really do the best job telling their story. Uh, and so a lot of times you don't, you're not aware. So listening to our podcast is a great way to really get that in-depth story behind a brand that can really, you know, it makes the big difference between an, a person just being a customer and then being like a, a fan of the brand. Yeah, yeah, uh, or an, ad, an advocate, or an advocate, right? Yeah, I mean, because I, we like to, we really like to have, an open door policy here at Koala Tree where anyone can come and, and 
and get to know the owners and get to know the brand and the people behind us. So I think that that really creates advocates instead of fans, right? Yep. And so with that said, uh, I think it'd be cool to to provide some value from the community. We have someone that's built something really awesome on the podcast, yourself, Charlie. Uh, and I think it'd be really cool to to pick your brain for some advice. You know, we have this massive community of, of content creators. And a lot of these content creators, whether they know it or not, some people don't know it, some people do know it, they're also entrepreneurs. And they're, you know, they're they're oftentimes trying to figure out how uh, how they can make money. And there's lots of opportunities out there for people to monetize their passion so that they can continue to create and get paid to do what they enjoy doing or leveraging their tools to do things. And so with you being the successful owner of an apparel, you know, company and an apparel brand, uh, what advice would you give? And I want this to be practical. So you know, what advice would you give to a, you know, 23 year old, you know, person, you know, male or female that has $500 and a laptop and, you know, maybe somewhat of an Instagram following 15, 20,000 followers. So they kind of have a little platform, uh, you know, a little following and they want to launch an apparel company. Uh, what advice would you give them or what would you do? I guess if you had to restart today, and yeah. that was what you had was $500 a laptop and 20,000 followers. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, <laughs> I think that the, there's a lot of power in the numbers. And when Qualitry reshifted and we did our restructure, we didn't go. We In the last two years, we went from having around 800 bucks in the bank account to um, – and granted, we already did put five years into building the brand – but we, we have went from that $800 in the bank account to now going to hit $5 million this year, three years later. So, I mean, we kind of lived that story a little bit. Now we had the jump start, like I said, of the, you know, of 75,000 followers and a established, somewhat established brand at the time. And we had some really high quality products. But I think that what set us apart directly was having products that solved a problem. And, set, and, and having a brand message that set us apart. Um, so those, those two things are, are important in any brand's DNA. You've got to be passionate about them too. Um, I think that a level of having resp social responsibility is a huge part now of a company. So if you're looking to start up a company, I think it's always great to involve a social responsibility element, whether that's a give back um, or whether that's, uh, uh, you know, you're giving back your time or, or however that works into what you could do. I think that's a number one, because there's going to be times when you're, you know, you've got your $300 that you turn into $600 that you turn into a thousand through events. And eventually you're going to be tested and that energy of excitement is going to leave. So if you're, if, if you're helping people besides yourself along the way, that motivation to keep doing it is going to be a lot more present because you're impacting others, you know? Mm -hmm. And I know, t I know that, that proof and, and listen headphones and, um, you know, Tom's, all those different types of companies have shared that same um, energy and they've, they've had a lot of advocates because of that. So I think that those are those are things that you have to that that you as the as the person who's founding your company has to find out what's important and passionate to you, and then act accordingly. Um, but I do think that social responsibility and give back is is very key, and having it be something you're passionate about is very important. Number two and number three should be that it's it, it's bringing it's adding value to the product category or it's something new and unique that you're bringing to the product through your brand messaging or through your actual product. Um, so I think those are the, those are the, the real core basics to have, but then just as general, as general advice, there was uh, somebody that told me this, that I'll still never forget. And they, they ran a successful brand and they said, the work that you're doing now will not pay off for one year. So like everything you're doing now, you're grinding, you're working your butt off, give it one year and you'll look back and you'll see where that grinding, where that hard work paid off. And then you just keep doing that. You keep that mentality and you have to keep that mentality for a five-year plan because nothing's going to happen in three years. Nothing's going to happen in four years. It's magical how, and I tell my, my brother is a musician and he's, he's just going over this cusp of five years. 
And it is amazing how when you stick with something and you change, you 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 adapt and you you move and shift things that the universe are telling you to do, then that consistency of sticking with it will bring you to levels you've only dreamed of. I mean, I feel like that, and with art or visuals, I'm sure you would agree, but you, no one gets anywhere overnight. And the ones that do become a quick success with a very drastic downfall, usually, um, you know, the Kenny powers, <laughs> but when you put your hard work into it and you have the mindset that what you're doing today won't pay off till next year, you're going to be in a different mindset and you're going to be able to have the patience that it requires to have success in any industry, whether you're a golfer, whether you're building a t-shirt company, whether you're a uh, you know, content creator. We just had lunch with Ever Changing Horizon uh, a week ago. I know you guys were talking about maybe doing a podcast with him, but Quinn came by our office in 2012 when he had 25,000 followers and he was coming down from Wyoming and he was going to do a trip all the way down to Panama. Uh, now he's he's just below eight hundred thousand followers, and it's been five years. <laughs> you know, and at lunch he still was telling us like, yeah, bigger, different, different, different problems, and some days there's the thrive to get back to just doing it for the sheer thrillness of being in your car doing it. But I think that that five year plan it goes to show you that that if he would have quit at two years, um, you know, if Art of Visuals would have quit at two years, if Koala Tree would have quit at two years. You're 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 never gonna you're never gonna give you the justice you deserve to make it and succeed. But if you if you if you're willing to to go five years and and have the mindset that everything you do now will pay off a year from now, get to six years and holy smokes! If you have good product, good branding, and you're supposed to be in in the market, you're gonna have doors up and opportunities open up that you only dreamed of at year two, three, and four. Um, so I think that those, those are, those are just some of the, the really important factors that, that I've learned and, and that I would pass on to anybody trying to, to really, really build something that is more than a quick fix or a get rich quick type of mentality. Absolutely. I love that. That's, that's some sound advice. So on the more practical side though, I'm still curious on the more practical side, like what would be. What would you do? I mean, like the reality is that's the situation most people are in. They have probably about $500 in their savings and they have a computer and a talent, which is normally, you know, they know how to utilize some type of tool. They can use Photoshop really well. They can use a camera really well and shoot their own videos or photos. Uh, and that's the situation that most of these people are in. So if you were in that same situation, what would you do? I mean, would you, you know? I would so if I was in that situation, I would a put out some fillers. So there's two things that I like to do. If I have an idea and a concept, because I'm looking I'm not for just, a blueprint, by the way, just like a, yeah. just like you know what I mean. Like your son, your son's like you know, if you had a son, I know you don't have a son, but yeah, yeah. If no. you had a son and he's like, Dad, I'm going to start a company. It's like, all right, son, that's awesome. You know, here's what I would recommend. I'm not saying this is wrong or it's right or it's going to work, but this is a blueprint I would give you with, with, you know, with what you have to work with. Yeah. I think that there is, this, this is exactly what I do. If I knew a little bit of Photoshop and stuff, I'd put out five designs and I'd start getting feedback in two different areas of how I can get feedback. Maybe even three is I would put out my top five designs or, or products that I'm passionate about. And then I'd put those out to my followers and start engaging them and start having them become a part of this process and which, which one, if I was only to produce one of these and I would tell my story through to my followers through this, if I could only, if I only had $500 in my bank, I could only produce one of these and here's the message and the story behind it. You know, which one would you, which one would you be drawn to? Boom. Then you're going to get X amount of responses. If you have 20,000 people, you should get at least, you know, 10 to 20 responses from people that way. That's going to help you steer you in a direction of, of knowing what people like and what's out there. If you don't get any responses, maybe shoot again, you know, because that's not a great, that's not a great feedback. And I would take that same mindset and I would ask my, all my friends and my family, I would put something out on my own Facebook, on my own Instagram, or like, you know, I'm through, through my own vessel, my LinkedIn. And I'd say, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm venturing into this idea, you know, same idea. Give me back your feedback. 
on what you like out of these five. And then after I get my, and then on a third option, if, if I could, I would partner with stuff like Utah's rad or some of these different companies that have events or like a farmer's market where I could get in and maybe not have to pay anything, but maybe leverage my relationships to go out and talk to people in, in my community and then get their response too. Which ones do they like? What, you know, and what do they like out of this? Then after I figured out my top two of the five, I would then go into production with those top two and probably spend, you know, 300 bucks on, on producing those two. And then I would put that out to my local following. I'd put that out, you know, try and sell that to my friends and family, my local following and at events that are local and try and purse that in and create that from 300 to 600 and then, you know, leverage the other 200 that I had or 300 I had in the bank to run Facebook ads to try and sell that product too. And if after I try and sell my product through my own following, through, through Facebook ads, through events and through my f friends and family, I should then have a pretty good idea after that if it's a viable product or if it's a viable concept. And, and, and if I feel fired up about it at that point, then I'd probably keep doing that on the side until I could create enough money to, to, to make a Kickstarter and to get somebody to film a Kickstarter for the product, get a video guy. And then once I could pay the video guy and the, the graphic designer to do the landing page, because I don't do graphic design, but I do do video. So I, in my case, I would make the video myself with a friend. I'd pay a graphic designer to do the page. And then I would say, I would use that, that um, validation I got from those three groups prior to market my message even further through Kickstarter and have one of the advocates have something that they were, they, you know, this product changed their life or this t-shirt graphic, you know, and the message that this t-shirt company is doing is, is, you know, like 10 trees, they plant 10 trees for everyone, you know, sold. This is amazing. So I think that then you're leveraging real people to bring your, your product to life and your Kickstarter to life. And then overnight and i watched this happen with a few different people too that i that i mentored through after you get a couple thousand dollars from selling your product through those first couple of avenues you launch your kickstarter and one of these kickstarters pajamas literally went and hit 400 and like in 45 days and now they've went on to do over a million dollars in free books and they followed this exact blueprint i just told you that's incredible. Uh, yeah. appreciate that. That's good advice. I, I think, I think that, you know, there's going to be definitely people from the community that listen to this and I hope they run with the idea and, and hopefully we hear back from them. Someday, <laughs> being like, Hey, I listened to that podcast and then yeah. I launched this company and here I am two years later and dude, like it all worked out. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, true. And it's not easy. And I think that the, the most that I see people get tripped up on is a not talking through problems with enough people. There's so, from from Orem to Ogden here in Salt Lake City, it's the largest startup per capita for for um, for kick, successful Kickstarters in in the world. So that's pretty that's pretty huge, you know. Um, but I think that, that that's the the first thing is to be able to talk to as many people as you can and not let yourself get discouraged along the way. Because the easy thing is to do is to give up and to say, hey, this didn't work, and you know X, Y, and Z. But the 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 truth is is that um, you know, if you're passionate about it, you're going to be able to work through the haters and the more haters you have potentially, the, the better your product is. And so it's kind of you feeling you're feeling through your gut on it, you know, but I think that there's, there's a lot of success stories that have come from that exact model that I told you about. And I'll also, I'll also share with you, Prince, um, the, this Kickstarter 101, it's a blueprint guide on how to create your own Kickstarter and it's the best I've ever seen. So I will forward, I'll send that to you on an email. And if you want, you can post this, that link on the podcast. Perfect. I would love that. The community would definitely love to download that resource and have that available. Yeah. It's, it's, it's what I would do word for word to try and get, um, you know, a Kickstarter, if I didn't know anything about Kickstarter, this is what I've sent to people. This is what I sent to Tentry, um, you know, to, to pajamas, to any of those, the, those potential um, people that are looking to launch a Kickstarter. And each one of them has wrote me back and just said, wow, this is the best information I could ask for. 
That's awesome. What do you think about like these drop shipping platforms that allow you to, you know, basically do the same thing. You can put up a few designs, get feedback, all that great stuff. And once you know that, Hey, you have uh, willing customers willing to buy this design or whatever it may be. How do you feel about using those types of platforms that where you don't have to have inventory on hand, you don't have to worry about shipping and all these things in the beginning, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that's the move long-term. I guess it depends on what your goals are with, you know, what you're doing, but how do you feel about those types of platforms for people just starting out? I think that those types of platforms are great. I think there's two different um, areas of, of um, e-commerce for apparel. Number one is, is the angle we're, we're kind of taking on is it's going to, you know, fashion meets function and the functionality and, and the fashion forward elements um, coming together. And that sets us apart from what other brands are doing, right? And then you've got your your other element, which is artistic. So, um, you know, if there's an, uh, and that's where Obey comes in, or you know, there's there's a um, Isaac Hastings. He's a local artist here in Salt Lake. That's at every big event that sells a ton of T-shirts because they've got his art on them. So I think that if you are tackling the second category where you are, you know, you're putting your, your photos or you're putting your art onto products. I think those, those avenues, those dropship avenues are great validation and, and great avenues to go through to get your product to market and to figure out what art style is going to sell the best. I think that the first element when you have, um, you know, functional products and, 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 um, that is their their bread and butter is that they are the function to it. I think that they just going through Kickstarter right away and and getting your your product out there before others do is a very important way to to go and and to get validation through that way because if it is something that is that is you know so functional that it's it's setting you apart, it should have massive success through that crowdfunding ab- ab- avenue. The nice thing about Kickstarter too is you can take your Kickstarter and roll it onto Indiegogo right after your Kickstarter stops. And that in essence is a drop ship pre-book type model. And even once you're done with your shipping your product to market, you can still sell your product through dropship on Indiegogo. Um, so I think that th- th- those worlds, uh, you know, those worlds for, um, you know, a, a brand like us are colliding and those, that world is really there for a smaller time artist or a, you know, a smaller concept to get validated. I, I, I think in the art world more so than in the functional world. I love it, man. I appreciate all the amazing advice. We're coming to the end of our podcast episode here today. Uh, before we wrap up, there's one last thing that we normally leave the AOV community with. This is basically where I give our guest uh, the floor to reinforce any message uh, that they that they'd like to. Uh, so I always just tell people, you know, imagine you're at a big conference full of you know this massive AOV community. They're all sitting there. You know, they're all creators. Uh, they love, you know, taking photos, shooting videos, dreaming big and, and, and wanting to, you know, create their own thing and, and to be artists. And uh, you're about to leave the stage and you have one thing to, to leave this group with. And what is that message that you want to share with these people? Man, uh, so so right now, the place that I'm in right now, and if I was looking across, um, you know, this community, I think that something we all really need to hear right now is to stay true to ourselves, stay true to our brand identity and to not let the shiny things um, and, and the, the, the what people are doing on the other side get in the way of what we know we're capable of and what we are, are uh, lined up in our vision to accomplish. You know, I think that the grass is always greener on the other side, but you never know the fertilizer bill. And, you know, anytime us as, as, as brand owners have, have, have uh, not focused on what we're doing here internally for ourselves and to grow our brand, then that, that distraction can be crippling. Um, and I know that, that, you know, especially in, in, the, in the social media world and in, in the world I'm talking about with e-commerce, it's a very fast-paced, um, very doggy dog world and is how it can, can initially feel. 
but um, it's the ones that really stay true to themselves, to their morals, their values, and stay honest through the tough times and through the trials that um, can continue to grow and keep the friendships and the relationships that are important to you, um, you know, in, in, intact as you have success instead of jeopardizing the trade-off of giving up who you are for success. Because you'll never, you know, I've, I've, I've looked down that path a few times as we grow and it'll just never bring you the happiness that, that, you're, that you're looking for. So yeah, just 100% stay true to yourself and your brand identity and listen to your gut and, and go with it. Charlie Bessie, ladies and gentlemen, founder of Koala Tree. Thank you so much for coming on uh, the AOV podcast and, and sharing so much insight with our community. I know all of our listeners are going to get tons of value out of this. Uh, so I appreciate you coming on and, and, and spending uh, an hour out of your day with us to, to kind of share your story and, and to give some advice and some insight on you know, how other creators can choose, you know, launch a successful apparel company. I appreciate that. Hey guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the AOV podcast. Our goal here at Art of Visuals is to keep everything free and to keep creating great tools and resources for you guys to utilize to achieve all your guys' dreams in the photography, filmmaking, and content creation world, even entrepreneurship. With that said, we've picked up Adorama as a sponsor to help us cover some of our costs, and we're grateful for them. All we ask of you guys is, if you're going to purchase gear, we'd really love it if you guys would head over to Adorama.com and make your purchase there instead of elsewhere. And just know that when you guys do that, you guys will also somewhat be supporting Art of Visuals and allowing us to continue to create great content for you guys, uh, like our podcasts, our free app. And a lot of the other great things we do. Also, if you listen to the podcast, all of the AOV presets are now free. Uh, so check out our website, shop.artivisuals.com. Go get some free presets. The artist presets are still for sale. If you want to support the artist and you should support the artist, uh, just know that that money goes to them. And we're also going to be reworking that commission structure uh, here in the next month. So we're really stoked about that. But go get some free presets. And if you guys want to buy gear, please support us. Help us out. Go to Adorama.com. Peace.